following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Alan again for the message for July the 19th, 2020. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've entitled The Remarkable Gospel. And there's some, I think, really hard-hitting elements in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And as I've explained before, it seems that at least one of the purposes of the way Mark, who is probably probably has written down what he had heard Peter say so often, that one of the purposes of this is to get a reaction from the hearers, from the readers, uh, from including us, the people that would be exposed to this version of the story of Jesus. And uh, so I, I think we're going to see how evocative some of what we we encounter, uh, how evocative this is uh, here today. And uh, this whole chapter, chapter 10, uh, in various ways seems to unpack the meaning of what Jesus said in the previous chapter, chapter 9, verses 36 and 37, where we read, He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child of my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And it it's looking it looks to me as if he's calling for a whole attitude change on how people relate to God, to his word, and to other people. And I started talking about that last time, and we're going to continue in that vein in, in this message as well. So today we're going to be focusing on Mark 10 verses 1 through 16, but to get a little bit more context, I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through verse uh, verse 31. And so let's do that. This is Mark 10 verses 1 through verse 31. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took him. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how evocative it is, that it doesn't leave us where we are, but calls us to become more and more like you and to be all that you want us to be uh, in, in this world in at this time. Please help us, Lord. Help us to understand what you're saying to us and and fill us afresh with your spirit that we would be all that you want us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I mentioned before I read the the passage that this whole chapter, which goes on to 50-something verses, uh, 52 verses actually, uh, that it unpacks, the whole chapter unpacks, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now this first section, verses 1 through 10, may not be that obvious how it relates to receiving a child and so on, but I'll, ex- I'll explain that eventually. So in these first 10 verses, we have Jesus teaching on divorce. Verse 1 again reads, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and, began the, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And so now in Mark's version of, of the story of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples leave the north and they are now headed uh, towards uh, the south and to the southeast of near, not far from Jerusalem. All this time and until now, they've been in the north in the region of, of the Galilee by the Sea of Galilee and, and beyond and sometimes to the, to the east of there in that area called the Decapolis. And it, we read here, as was his custom, he taught them. And it's interesting that that would be underlined for us because it's obviously he's teaching. But it's important for us to take note of this, that the main thing that, that Jesus did in his ministry is that he taught. He taught and he did good. So he, he cast out demons. He healed people. And sometimes people will lean more on the fact that he did these signs and wonders 
but much of the the purpose of those signs and wonders, while it was showing God's mercy to people, showing them that the the age to come was dawning through the coming of the Messiah, that what they were expecting in in Messiah was was happening around them. But the content in understanding what this is all about is found in his teaching. And it's also interesting that, while we don't read this in the book of Mark, but the book of Matthew ends with him commissioning his disciples, his followers, and them to us to teach everything that he had commanded them. So our main commission is to communicate God's word. And this is the thing that makes the most difference in, in people's lives. This is the, the main way that, that God operates. And we see that all the way through the scripture. God brings the, the people of Israel to Mount Sinai and he speaks to them. Moses is the great teacher to, to teach God's word to the people. And an interesting thing happened uh, just the other day where I was interviewed for a podcast and we were talking about the issue of systemic racism that that is um, a hot topic and, and an important issue uh, to be addressed in our day and any and all days actually. And um, there are people calling for certain kinds of approaches of how to deal with certain injustices that are are occurring are, are, are that are occurring. And I was trying to explain to the host of the podcast that the main method of bringing about change that God has given us through Jesus is through teaching. And as I was saying that, I picked up that the the host was thinking, but teaching's not good enough. And I realized that that's something that I assumed. Of course, just teaching is not good enough. Jesus doesn't expect his teaching to be good enough. It's not just about getting a message out. It's not just about hearing the message. It's about being doers of the message. That when God teaches us, it's assumed that we are going to respond to what he's saying. Filling our minds with good thoughts is not sufficient. It's important. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul writes in in Romans 12. But it, again, assumes that we're going to hear the good message of God in what he says to us through his word and then make the necessary adjustments to our lives that his teaching calls for. And so let's see what his teaching has in store for us in this section. Verse 2, And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man... Did I say the Pharisees? And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, in some ways, this is a typical kind of thing that what I've called keeners, and the Pharisees were keeners. They were very passionate for uh, the things of God. They believed that the reason why things were um, not as they should be in the land of Israel, being under a Roman oppression as they were, the reason why things were not right was that the people were not like them, keen for the things of God according to their understanding of the things of God. And it's the it's their understanding of the things of God that's going to get confronted more than the actual uh, subject that they're bringing up. Now, the fact that they 
confront Jesus about a topic like this in itself isn't really not that unusual because in in Jewish rabbinic thought the having disputes over matters of God's word his Torah his law that was common now why this subject the subject of divorce well it might have been just a a topic that they knew would be one where they could enter into a dispute or it could have to do with the fact of what happened to John the baptizer earlier in the Gospel of Mark, where he had confronted Herod Antipas over his wrongful marriage uh, to, to his wife, and that she had divorced her husband and, and, and wrongfully married um, uh, Herod Antipas. And John was confronting Herod on this, and it not only got him arrested, but eventually led to his beheading. And so is it possible that they were going to try to, this was a way to try to get Jesus into trouble? Or it's also possible just to see, knowing that this was a topic that could get him into trouble, how would he deal with it? Would he become wishy-washy and play a political game uh, to try to sidestep uh, this issue? Which the topic of divorce, uh, whether, whether it was huge in their day, it, it became a huge topic. A, a whole section of the Jewish religious writings called the Talmud is dedicated to this subject. So it it wasn't it was viewed as an important subject, and it's still viewed as an important subject today. Even though uh, Canada's approach, much of the Western world's approach, much of the world's approach to the topic of divorce is is radically different from the what might have been the norm in in Jesus day. Now one other thing I want to mention before I get into the details of of what they discuss is in likely in that day we know eventually the the Jewish religious world uh, became um committed to one of two sides of of religious debates. There were these two famous rabbis, one was Hillel, the other was Shammai. And they had this major influence on the Jewish world. And so Jewish uh, religious Jews, which are most Jewish people, would either side with Hillel's interpretations of the books of Moses or Shammai's interpretations. Shammai was the one who was more strict, tended to be more strict. Hillel tended to be more lenient with how he understood God's word was to be applied. We don't know in, whether in Jesus' day, if those schools of thought were as well established as they would become later on. But when scholars look back at the teachings of Jesus, they show that he tends to lean more like Hillel, that his way of interpreting Torah appears to be more on the, on the lenient side than on the, the stricter side of Shammai. And so, that's that. That's sort of the, the religious interpretive context of, of this incident. Uh, surprisingly, though, Jesus leans more on the Shammai side of the scale here, but I don't really think that's what's fully going on, as we'll see as, as we continue. Verse 3, he answered them, what did Moses command you? So it starts off with the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they're implying, and we get this in, in the other Gospels, is is it lawful to divorce for any reason, which was the more Hillel 
approach um, that, that divorce was quite permissible according to many Jewish religious people of the day. And so Jesus immediately sends them back to the source. What did Moses command you? Their response, verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away. So they're basically saying Moses permitted it. But did he? Let's actually see the reference they're referring to and we'll see how they interpret it and then what Jesus' understanding of this is. This is Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. And so we see that this passage in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses, is not about whether or not divorce is permitted or forbidden. It, it is dealing with a particular situation where a man divorces a, as a wife, when a man divorces a wife and she ends up marrying somebody else and ends up being divorced by him, Moses saying in that case, the first husband is not to take her back, her back and remarry her. So this is not about divorce in general or remarriage in general. It's about this particular situation. But the interpretation of some was they picked up that this observation of a man giving a divorce certificate to his wife, thus divorcing her, and they took this to mean, therefore, Moses, or God, through Moses, permitted divorce. But that's not how Jesus understood it, and he explains the actual intent of what's going on. He says in verse 5, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So basically, Jesus is saying that the, the fact that God did not demand that divorce be forbidden was due to their hardness of heart, that like something similar to slavery, that God uh, put up with it, so to speak, and and sought to, over time, uh, deal with it in, in more stricter terms. Jesus points out very clearly that God's intent for marriage is that it was permanent. And going back to to the first chapters of Genesis and, and referencing how uh, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he observes that this becoming of one is something that God does to the married couple. And therefore, it's not something that people should separate. And so interestingly, he, what he's pointing out here is that uh, the Pharisees were actually manipulating what God was saying in his word to establish their own rules concerning divorce. 
So a lot of people refer to the Pharisees as as sticklers about the Torah and they called legalists. We we dealt this er, earlier in um, earlier chapter with the washing of hands, where we saw that actually they weren't being overly strict. They were actually creating like overly strict about God's word. They were actually creating their own rules. In this situation, they find a phrase and manipulate it to create an understanding about something that was never God's intention. God's intention was that was that marriage would be permanent. But the disciples react to this, as many people would today. Verse 10, And in the house, this is now privately, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. He's, he's saying here, divorce, committing, uh, doing, divorcing is messy. It's ripping apart something that's permanent. Now, in Mark, we don't see what's mentioned in Matthew where Jesus makes the the statement that except for sexual immorality. So there is reason to divorce, but it's the exception rather to the rule according to Jesus. God's intention was that marriage would always be permanent. Now, there are some people that will take that even further than what God intends and uh, insist that spouses, men or women, have to stay in very abusive situations. Now, that's a whole other topic. And I think that people in marital, facing severe marital problems, and especially when they're in danger, well, first of all, if any spouse and or children are in danger in a marital situation, they should uh, they should run to safety and then deal with, with might even be a criminal offense on the on the part of the of, of the other spouse. Um, those really should be exceptions uh, to the rule. What's happened in our day, sadly, is that marriages become about me, and that the other person has to be pleasing me. And once they're not pleasing me, and and I'm not satisfied with the relationship, we're out. And um, that's a, that's a, another extreme. But you know, if you think of, of some of the, the things that are normally said in a marriage service, you know, the, the institution of marriage should not be entered in lightly because it's very, very serious. And separating, breaking the marriage relationship through divorce is is very damaging to people and to a particular aspect of society, which brings us back to um, the the being like a child and receiving children because children come up again. And I wonder if the the passage moves on to children right away because of their very special relationship to uh, the marriage bond. Verse 13, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so I've been wondering if the comments about the strictness of divorce might have something to do, at least partly, with children, because as you probably are aware of, the, some of the ones who suffer the most 
when the marriage bond is broken through divorce or children. And, and sadly, even when there's been a really bad marital situation and maybe divorce is necessary, children suffer. Um, and um, I should know, I'm the product of, of divorce. My parents divorced when I was uh, about 15. And it was it, the whole thing was terrible. And it's too bad my parents didn't know the Lord. Uh, they, they didn't have resources to deal with their issues. And it caused a huge mess in, in our family that me and my, my brothers have, have suffered from ever since. And, and not just from the divorce, but from the whole, uh, the, 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 from how the household was mismanaged. Um, but I've heard from, you hear the stories of, of what it means to children when, when their parents split. And um, all we could do at, at this point is you know, urge parents uh, that are having marital issues to get the help that they need. And there's so many helpful resources out there to deal with with difficult marriage situations. And, and, and people should do everything in their power to preserve that which God has bound together. Interestingly, when the disciple, when the people tried to bring, and probably the parents were bringing children to Jesus to touch them, and, and there's nothing overly magical or even messianic about this. It was common if there should be a holy man or a visiting rabbi to come. It was likely common for children to bring them to the the rabbi for a special blessing. But in, in this situation, and maybe because of the crowds, but also it seems that the the disciples hadn't learned the lesson back earlier from Matthew 9 about what it means to receive a child and, and at, whoever receives one such child in my name, 937 says, receives me, whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And they didn't learn this lesson and actually were trying to keep the, the children from being brought to Jesus. And it says that he was indignant. He was really put out. He was put out by this. It bothered him. It, it made him angry that, that they would do so, such a thing. And, and, he, and he tells them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Um, that, that Jesus' rule is open, not just for the adults, not for um, the significant ones, which is likely the main thing that he's emphasizing here. This is not really about the children per se. It includes the children, but it's not about the children. It's about those who we deem to be the least significant among us, um, that they should be free to come. And we see this, and we talked about this last, last time. And that's why this is about an attitude of, of knowing to that we must receive those that are the least significant in the society, children and others. And he said something very, very strong. This is one of the amen or amen statements. There are several of them in the Gospel of Mark. When it says truly, in the Greek representing Hebrew, he says Amen, I say to you, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So notice, he goes from receiving children to saying, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom like a child, if you yourself are not like one of these, you shall not enter it. Well, that's that's heavy duty to say something like that. And so there's something about the simple humility of children and or 
the least, the, the way they're not that significant in the society and or how they're expected to be submissive. They're, they're at the bottom of the hierarchy in the society. Everybody tells the children what to do. And, and, and perhaps that's what we're supposed to be. We're to be submitting to the will of God like a child. We're to be uh, unsophisticated like children are in, in how they seek to understand. They, they, well, they understand things in a simple way. They're not, they're not like the religious leaders. The, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about that? And finding loopholes in, in, to get out of what God really expects of us. That's why this may not so much be about the topic of marriage and divorce as much as our approach to the scriptures. Are we... Are we truly scriptural followers of Jesus? The religious leaders, um, they made up their own way to understand God. They were finding loopholes. They were manipulating scripture. And Jesus was calling them back to the word of God. And maybe that's what he's doing, seeking to do in our lives today. Call us back to a simple obedience of God's word. And, and while the Bible isn't simplistic, the Bible is actually very profound. It's very deep. It can be difficult to understand. But its intentions are so often so straightforward that we need to take God at his word like little children. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that we need to get back to your word. Help us to do that. Show us where we've either ignored it or we've made it overly complicated or even where we've manipulated it to make it say what we want it to say rather than what you are really saying. Please, Lord, forgive us for mishandling your word and help us rather to embrace it for all it's worth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Until next time, this is Pastor Allen for All Saints Lutheran Church. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.